today's topic is the art of revelation. It was going to be a one Sunday sermon. And I don't know what happened. But God has given me something to say on the art of revelation. And so we're looking at at least three weeks on the art of revelation. Next week, uh, it's, it's Father's Day, so we won't be doing Art of Revelation next week because Michael Jones is going to be talking about fathers. He's got a great piece of artwork to show you. But the following week, we'll, we'll pick up on the Art of Revelation. And I was surprised. I was surprised at the way that the Lord was leading me to, to communicate something. I've got something to say on this. And it's not, and I guess you could say I was surprised because I, I don't necessarily consider myself a student of eschatology. So eschatology is a fancy word for the study of end times. And there's a lot of different camps. There's a lot of different beliefs. There's a, a number of interpretations of end times theology, and so I've looked at them all. I've confused myself a number of times, um, and I, I, it's, it's important, but I was surprised when God said, oh, well, you've got something to say about this. And so during the next few weeks as we're on this topic, and I'll actually be fleshing it out. I have a podcast, so I'll be fleshing it out a little bit more on the podcast as well. Uh, what I won't be framing out is a specific case for a specific school of eschatology. Um, there's a number of things that divide churches. Scandals, uh, inappropriate stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that divide churches. Uh, one of the fastest ways to divide a church is to start talking about the end times. And um, I, like the last thing that we need right now, the last thing I want to give you is something else, something in addition to argue about. We don't need to be arguing about stuff right now. We need to be unifying about things. But what I do, what I believe that God has given me is that, well, yeah, I'm going to be showing you the art, the historical art of Revelation. But it has a double meaning in that there is an art to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is the heart that I need to uncover. And it's going to take... It's going to take at least three weeks. There's way too much material. We might just even scratch the surface. But there's an art to it, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to... <sighs> Have you ever read Revelation and were kind of confused and freaked out? Okay. So I'm going to demystify that a little bit. There's an art to it. There's another lens that we can look at the scripture, and it shouldn't freak us out. It should sober us up. It shouldn't motivate us by fear. It should bless us. In fact, this is the only book in the Bible that says if you read this and if you apply your mind to understand it, you will be blessed. I want to be blessed. And then, you know, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, but the weirdest book in the Bible, the last book in the Bible is the only one that has, comes with the blessing. And I say weird in a nice way because there's some stuff and they're like, what in the world's going on here? And so just like a few weeks ago, I need you to, you know, when we're reading the word, just tune your ears to hear it from a healthy place, from the voice of a father that loves you and wants the best for you. So when, I, when you hear this scripture and you're like, oh, it's kind of creepy, kind of scary, you need to hear it from, a, from the voice of a father that wants the best for his children. If you're a parent, you want the best for your children, right? You don't want your kids to be spoiled. You don't want your kids to be unprepared for life. The role of a parent is to prepare the children to live productive lives, to live healthy lives. And spiritually, this is what God wants to do with us. And that, I believe, is one of the purposes of Revelation, is to say, okay, we're going to prepare you. 
One of the interesting things that I've noticed in, in contemporary life, in the life of media, in the life of entertainment, how many people have Netflix and Amazon? Uh, what else is out there? Everything. Probably specifically those two platforms. If you look through the movie list and if you look through what is trending, Maybe it's just my algorithm, but what's trending on my Netflix is a plethora of post-apocalyptic and apocalyptic types of movies. It's all the end of the world stuff. Are there the zombie apocalypse, Michael's favorite movies, Planet of the Apes, that's another apocalyptic type of movie. Uh, the End is Near, is that, 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 that one with uh, that, that funny campy one? Landon, what's that movie? <laughs> The end is near. The guy that was in Titanic. Yes. Don't look up. Thank you. The end is near. Same thing, right? Don't look up. Another one. So there's the end of the world stuff. Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> Again. Go into your Netflix account, type in apocalyptic, and you're going to get a huge list of movies. A lot of them are brand new. A lot of them are just coming out. It's because we have a hunger for it. We have like this desire. I don't know what it, what it is about human nature that we are drawn to, you know, the end of the world. Bless you. It's actually nothing new. It's been going on for a very long time in almost every culture. We have this idea that someday that the world will end. Again, any culture you look at, they have, they have it in their theology, they have it in their history, that the end is coming someday. Even in the first century, the early Christians thought that they were the last ones. They thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And they had very good reason to think that. It, it looked like it. It felt like it. They were going through stuff that was hard. In the Middle Ages, they had very good reason to think that the world was ending, specifically around 900 A.D., like, things were bad. They had plagues. They had the bubonic plague and the black plague. They would make COVID look like a sniffle. Wiped out entire cities. No, they thought Jesus was coming back. They had good reason to believe. There were wars. There were rumors of wars. The sky was getting blacked out and redded, and the moon turned to blood. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy things happening in 900. They were completely convinced. If, if we were living there, we'd be like, oh my gosh, we better get ready for the day of the Lord because it's any moment now. And I believe that we have that same impulse now. I'm not, and, and I, like it ought to sober us up. Like you need to be watching the news and saying, okay, is this it? Because what we do know from the scriptures is, is that the times will indicate that we are close. Yeah, for our ancient brothers and sisters, it seemed like the time was close. But what we do know is that we are a lot closer now than our brothers and sisters were in the first century. We're close. It is in our collective consciousness that the end is near. And yes, we very, very well may be in the end times. I think, personally, I think that we are. I'm going to read a very small portion of Revelation. The scripture will not be on the screen. I don't even want to encourage you to open your Bible on this one. You know where it's at. You've heard it before. But as I read, I'm going to put a picture behind me. It's a black and white engraving of art 
from Revelation. All right, so listen, listen to the Word of God and take a look at the picture behind me. Think about it. Meditate on it. Again, try not to get freaked out or, or, or afraid, but maybe just allow, allow the Word to sober us up a bit. First off, John of Patmos most likely could have been John the Apostle, John the Disciple. But what we do know is that he wrote Revelation when he was an older man, an older gentleman, in isolation, in a form of imprisonment on the island of Patmos. And as he is in his later years, the word of the Lord came to him, and he goes into probably most likely an ecstatic state, and he begins to write down an open vision from the Lord. And it is coming at him a million miles an hour, and he's probably just like, oh my, I have to get, I have to get it all down. And these are some of the things that John saw from a spiritual perspective. Like his spirit might, was most likely even out of his body when he wrote this or when it was revealed to him. So Revelation chapter 6. Again, don't, don't turn there. It's not going to be on the screen, but just take a look at the picture behind me or if you'd like, even close your eyes as I read it. I watched as the Lamb and that's Jesus. As the Lamb opened up the first of the seven seals. So this is the opening of when Jesus is the only one. The Lamb of God is the only one that can open up the seals that are going to usher in the end times. A seal is um, either a piece of clay or a piece of wax that they use to seal up a scroll. So think about a, a letter that you lick, an envelope that you lick, and then you seal it up and put it in the mail. The same concept took place in the ancient world, except they used wax. They would also seal up their jars of oil and their jars of wheat. They put a clay top on it, and they would seal it with a wax and then the king or the administrator would put his mark into that, into that wax. And if it was broken, before it got to its destin destination, somebody died. The seals are important. And Jesus is the only one that can open up these seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, like thunder, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Then the Lamb opened the second seal, and I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. The animal spirit. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened up the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wage, and three quarts of barley for a day's wage. And do not damage the oil or the wine. When the Lamb of God opened up the fourth seal, I heard a voice come out of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, 
Its writer's name was Death, and hell followed close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. The four seals. There's three more to go, but we don't have time to get into that. So have you ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yeah, you've heard about it. Even if you've never stepped in a foot into church, you've heard about the four horsemen. And just like the end times, just like the apocalypse, just like the end of the world, uh, this, this, this scripture is in our collective consciousness as a culture. I'll prove it to you. Here are the four horsemen of the apocalypse that uh, played for Notre Dame. Notre Dame. These guys. So these are considered the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they, and they were absolute killers. Their coach thought it would be a great idea to market them as the four horsemen. And it was a brilliant move because, of, because they said, okay, these guys are really good. These guys are winning all of our games. It is the perfect match. You get these four guys together, it's all over. It's the perfect storm with the perfect guys. So these are the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If you look at uh, any heavy metal album, any heavy metal band has got a song in there somewhere about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I won't show you album covers because it's just a little too creepy. You ever heard of John Gottman? John Gottman is by far the best marriage and family therapist on the planet. And he has a way to predict whether or not you're going to end up in divorce or not. And he calls it the four horsemen of the death of your marriage. <laughs> and it's a little bit different than a, a, a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. A little bit different. So John Gottman's four horsemen. The first is criticism. That's the first, first horseman, is criticism. The second is defensiveness. The third horseman, maybe the most dangerous of them all, is contempt. And the fourth is stonewalling. So, if you have any of these elements in your marriage, quite frankly, if you have any of these attitudes in you about any relationship that you're involved in, well, it is the perfect storm for the death of a relationship. This is what leads to divorce, harboring these four attitudes and these four uh, conditions of the heart. So, in popular culture... We use this term, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, to say, okay, this is the perfect storm that will end life as we know it. Yeah? And again, it's part of our collective consciousness. So, as we are reading the scripture, let's put the original picture up of our four horsemen, or black and white there. All right, so this is actually a famous... Uh, engraving. It was made in 1497. The artist's name is Albrecht Dürer, and he is he was a contemporary of Leonardo da Vinci, or, or excuse me, of, um, well, yeah, Leonardo and Michelangelo. So him and Michelangelo were about the same age. I showed you a Michelangelo last week with the, with the statue of David. So he is a contemporary, and he is considered the Michelangelo of the North. He's German. And I know that this one kind of seems like a cartoon 
and it seems a little old-timey, but many art historians and myself, I'm not an art historian, but it is my opinion that Drewer is actually a better artist than Michelangelo, because although he can do this, you know, this engraving that looks like a cartoon, he also had the ability, and this is again in the 1400s, he had the ability to paint photorealism. So he, he could paint a rabbit, and if you put up a photo of the rabbit and what he painted, it would, it wouldn't be, it'd be hard to tell the difference. His portraits are so good that you'd think that you're looking at a photo. And that was the guy that painted this painting. Now, the reason why I bring up this painting, it's, very, it's, a, it's a very important reason. Specifically, when we're opening up the scripture, and we open up this scripture with the intent to interpret If we're not careful, if we don't open up the Scripture, uh, first of all, with prayer and submission to the Spirit of God, it is extremely easy to read in our own agendas into Scripture. Have you ever done this? It's really easy to do if you're a junior high boy and you want to break up with somebody. You just pull out your Bible and you find a Scripture that suits your needs and you say, oh, the Word of God says that i got to break up with you. And here's a Scripture for that. It, like, like, people do this. And actually, that's what's going on here. Now, as I was reading it, and as you look at this interpretation of the scripture that I just read, what's wrong? It's a tricky question. It's a very tricky question. But there's something wrong with the painting in regards to the way that I read the scripture. All right. You're not going to get it. It's tough. It's not the colors. Okay, it's black and white, yeah. That's, that's probably the best and easiest one. All right, so what's wrong with the picture is that the artist is putting all of the four horsemen out together, out front, all showing up at the same time. It's not that big of a deal. But if you read the Scripture, one seal is opened up after another. They, they don't come at you all at once. They come at you in successions. At, you know, when one seal is open, the horse comes out, bad things happen, and then the lamb opens up the next seal, and then the black rider comes. Before 1497, when Drewer made this engraving. And again, this is you know, right around the time when they're making the, the Gutenberg press. And so they were making this and they were copying it. So, they, so everybody could have one in their home. You could put this poster up on your board. So junior high boys that were into death metal in the first century or in the 1400s, they had this poster above their wall. <laughs> and it was, uh, if you put a black light on it, it would light up. So Drewer's interpretation of this actually set our minds to think that all four horsemen are coming at the same time. Again, rock albums and other artwork that depict the four horsemen, they all have them coming at the same time. Scripturally, it's not accurate. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but I just want to point this out. Scripturally, it's not accurate. It's his, it's his interpretation. Prior to this, scholars and pastors and bishops, they were interpreting the four horsemen. Starting around 200, 380, they were making commentaries, very good, deep commentaries on Revelation. And into the 1200s, scholars were, were trying to figure out, okay, what, what's going on here? Some of the interpretations were, well, I, actually every single one of them never put the four horses together. It was always in a succession, one horse after another horse after another horse. And you know what else they did? Most of them thought that it was the same rider. Actually, all of the, the theologians before this painting came about thought it was the same rider. Now, what was not agreed upon was, who is the rider? Who was, who's on the horses? 
Who's taking the horses out for a ride? Kurt Russell. I think that's probably the best answer we're going to get right now. Some say because the Lamb, the Lamb of God, is the one that opens the seals. Some theologians thought, well, it's Jesus. This is not a bad, not a bad, bad answer. It could have been Jesus. Some equally smart people, some equally smart theologians, thought it was the Antichrist. Others say, nah, they're angels, right? Some say that they were demons. Some say it was the spirit of the four winds, again, the angels. We, again, we don't, we don't necessarily know for sure. The point is, is that the four coming all together is a result of someone's vision of what he thought that it was. And this vision was false. In recent years, just like we have a surge in interest in these end-time movies, in, in, in most recent years, we've had a surge in end-time prophecy books being written and sold. We have a big spike right now. Everybody's interested in, in how the world's going to end. Everybody wants to know. We, we want to know, or at least we want to get really close. In 2000, remember Y2K? Sales skyrocketed for end-time books. 9-11, sales skyrocketed for end-time books. When COVID happened, sales skyrocketed. It is. The Christian publishing industry calls it an end times industry. There is so much money to be made in this stuff. And I'm not saying that we don't educate ourselves. I'm saying that we don't read the book. All right, if you even go to some of these conferences. Like, again, I want to be blessed, so I want to know more. But there's an art to Revelation. And if it doesn't lead to the power of Jesus in our daily life, well, then we're just doing it wrong. I think one of the reasons and the purposes for Revelation not only is to give us a revelation of the coming of Jesus Christ and his victory, so not only is it a revelation of who he is, I believe that Revelation has a practical purpose to prepare us for the day of the Lord. Like, we might not get it, it might freak us out. We might not like the imagery. We might not like the art. But the purpose of this book and the, and the imagery of it and the truth of it is to prepare us for the day of the Lord. The four horsemen, or the horse, the horses, they're coming. I, don't, I can't tell you when it is. I can't tell you when that day of the Lord will come, but it's coming. And it will be the perfect storm. It's going to happen all, well, it won't happen all at once. It's going to happen in consecutive seals that will be opened. And what the Lord would have us to do in our own way, whether we get our eschatology right or not, what the Lord would have us to do is to prepare our hearts for that day. Preparing us for the day of the Lord. So how do we do that? How, how, how do you prepare yourself? What's that, Gary? Get right. Get right. Back to John Gottman. The four horsemen of a dysfunctional marriage. How do you prepare yourself for that? You ever think about that? I mean, I just said, like, if you have these things, you're headed for divorce or misery, right? That's pretty, that's pretty depressing, right? Because you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I've been kind of critical lately. Wow, I've been a little defensive lately. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I can hold somebody in contempt for a long time. Yeah, I ignore people. Is that me? Like, if I just left you hanging there, how would you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, your divorce is over. You're a loser. Well, there's answers, right? There's answers. There's a, there's a counter to these things. What, what are they? Well, if you have a critical spirit, learn how to communicate better with your spouse. Instead of pointing out and noticing every wrong thing that they do, find the gold in your spouse and highlight that and celebrate them. I mean, they can give you something to complain about. And maybe you do have some things to work on, but there is a difference between feedback and a critical spirit. And if you're critical to your spouse, you've allowed the horse to come in. So open communication is how you prepare yourself for that spirit of criticism that will come in. Defensiveness. How do you prepare yourself for the defensive horse that, that's going to come in where you're just making excuses for everything? Everything is wrong in my life, and it, honey, it is your fault. <laughs> right? That's a defensive spirit. And if you can't be honest with yourself and your own failures and your own insecurities, if you can't do that, then, well, that, that horse is just going to run rapid in your backyard. Contempt is the killer, actually. So the horse of contempt is the one that, that, that destroys most marriages. It's because in your mind and in your heart, when you hold somebody in contempt, you're holding them in prison. Not only are you holding them in prison in your heart, you've projected that prison onto them. And contempt is not just being annoyed about what your partner does. Contempt is being annoyed about the person themselves. Their very essence, their very character, their very nature. That, that is contempt. Like, you can be frustrated about the dishes in the sink. Honey, I hate it when you leave the dishes in the sink. I hate it when you leave your socks on the floor. All right? But if you're like, you left the dishes in the sink because you're a bad person, because you're evil and possessed, that's contempt. And stonewalling, once you begin to shut yourself down to conversations or you distance yourself emotionally from your spouse, oh, folks, it's over. Either you're either divorced or you're miserable, and you get to choose. So how, how do you prepare yourself for stonewalling? Well, you just put yourself out there. Well, last time I put myself out there, uh, I got my heart stepped on. Well, you just got to do it again. got to put yourself out there. If we shut off and shut down, we've allowed that horse of death to enter into our marriage. So that's how you fix that, horse, that horseman situation. All right, so let's go back to the bigger, the bigger picture. How do you prepare yourself for these four horsemen? The ones that, like this is the planet killer horsemen. This is the, the end of humanity, if you will. How do you prepare yourselves for these four horsemen, because you can, again, you can prepare yourself for the four horsemen of marriage or relationship or jobs or whatever, or, or, you know, Notre Dame football. You can prepare yourself for these guys. So how in the world do you prepare yourself for these four horsemen? All right. This is going to be a little uncomfortable. Again, we don't know who the riders are. Or if it is one rider, we don't know if it's Jesus, or we don't know if it's the Antichrist. We don't know if they're angels or demons. Like we, again, uh, I guess I could try and figure it out, but I'm sure there's somebody smarter than me that has a different opinion that I won't be able to argue with. But what we do know is that these four seals are the judgment of God. 
that's the judgment of God when these things are opened up. Only Jesus can open it up. This is the judgment that's, that's going to fall upon the earth, upon humanity. So there's a couple of ways, there's a couple of truths about God's judgment. Number one truth about God's judgment is that it is direct. I, ooh, I know it's tough to hear, but God will give you a direct judgment. If you are doing something so heinous and so bad, God will give you a, a direct judgment. Doesn't happen anymore. It probably honestly, only honestly happened once. But there was a day when I had to give judgment to my daughter. And did I actually spank my daughter, Mako? No, I made her. I made, I made Mako do it. <laughs> yeah. So there was a day of wrath from me that I made my wife administer. And she got a spanking, right? And so God will give us a direct judgment. I know you probably don't want to hear that, but you need to hear it because God's a good God and he's a good, loving, heavenly father. If I had not have made my wife spank my child, it would not have been a loving act. <laughs> like, right? You don't want to spoil your children. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to spoil your children. Spoiling your children is not an act of love. And so God will bring in judgment upon our lives. He will take the sheep and put them up on his lap and, and give them a spanking. I remember the last time I got a spanking. I'm still going to counseling for that. No, no, I'm not. It made me a better person. The discipline was good. My dad was not beating me. He was disciplining me. It's a difference. I know that's highly controversial. But discipline from a loving father will grow you into maturity, and this is what the church needs. And so... When direct judgment comes from the Lord, specifically in this case, it's swift and it's harsh. So that's one interpretation of what's going on here. The four horsemen is direct judgment from the Lord. Like he is doing it. The other side of the coin, it's the same judgment. The judgment comes from the Lord, right? That's what's going on here. Jesus is opening up the seals. This is the judgment of God. The other form of judgment is when, because of choices and because of sin, the Lord takes his anointing and blessing off of you, and he leaves you to your own devices, and he allows you and your decisions to run their own course. And so... When God takes off his protection, you know, the, the third horse, where, the pe- where he takes the peace of God off of the planet and men begin to slay each other. Yeah? Does that make sense? It's, this, it's, it's still judgment. It's just done in a different way. So instead of a, a direct judgment, God says, okay, because of your decisions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off. And you're going to have to pay the consequences for your decisions. Either way, they're equally rough. They're equally bad. And we don't need to go down that path. So how do we, again, how do we prepare ourselves for these four horsemen? Because, again, the judgment of God's coming. Whether it is direct or it is indirect, it's coming and it's going to be hard. We're the, we're the bride of Christ. We're the church of Jesus Christ. One of the things that you can do to prepare yourselves is that you're already doing it. You're here. You're Sabbathing. You have not forsaken the gathering on this day. And that will strengthen you. That will strengthen you. You can't forsake the gathering. Not in these days. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Josh, I've got other ways to prepare for the day of the Lord. I've got other ways to prepare for the four horsemen. I am going to 
dig myself a bunker. I am going to buy seven years of food, prepackaged food. Or I'm going to go live in a compound, and I'm going to go buy more guns. And I am going to prepare myself for the day of the Lord. I've got some bad news for you. That's not how you do it spiritually. That ain't going to work. That, that is not in the Bible. Being, being a prepper is not in the Bible. What is, what is in the Bible is that, however you want to look at it, I mean, we're doing it now. As believers, we have to walk through hard times together. Not only, not only with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not only with our family, but with the rest of the world. Things are hard right now. Like you, you, you can't isolate yourself. You can't put yourself in a bunker right now. You need to be engaging the world. You need to continue to love on one another inside of this fellowship and at home. That, that is how you prepare. That is how you become a prepper. Just like in the marriage relationship, one of the four horsemen, again, is that um, criticism, right? Criticism takes place because of the lack of communication. There's a, there's a lack of talking. There's a lack of healthy communication. And if you're not communicating, well, then you're just going to get critical. Likewise, if you don't have a prayer life, if you're not communicating with God through a healthy prayer life, do you know what happens if your prayer life isn't strong? You get critical. You get, you, you get critical of your friends. You get critical of the government. You get critical of the church. You get critical of people. You get critical of marriage. And it's just all a filter for being critical towards God. No, it's weird. Like, it's psychologically weird. I've seen it. I've seen it even when I was, I was a boy watching Dad do ministry. I've seen it so many times where a critical spirit will take root of somebody that has lost their ability to pray to God. And they will blame other people for their lack of relationship with God. I have literally heard people say, Pastor Larry, it's your fault that my life is falling apart. I have literally heard people say, I heard it as a young boy, I heard somebody say that. I'm like, Dad, what in the world are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it's kind of weird. But people have the ability to blame me for all of their problems. They project it. And if you have a healthy prayer, a daily healthy prayer life, and if you are submitted and receiving the word of God from him through his spirit, all right, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings correction and conviction to a critical spirit. So easily prayer. And then, this is why we're doing daily Bible reading plan. Like, if you can't hang, that's okay, but you need to be in the Word of God on a consistent basis, on a, particularly a daily basis. One of the interesting uh, images in Revelation is there's a big, giant angel, angel of the Lord in Revelation, and he has a tiny scroll. And John is just blown away by this. I mean, John is having a heavenly experience, and it is not angels floating around on clouds, playing harps. It is a symphony. It is a rock band. There is so much noise and, a, and energy taking place. And then sometimes the, the, the whole sound just ends for a dramatic pause. It's absolutely stunning what's going on in John's vision of, of heaven. But this angel says, even in the midst of this revelation, right in the big giant middle of it, the angel says, yeah, you need to eat the word of God. He has this little scroll. He's like, you need to eat it. I mean, you would think that the experience would be good enough. 
I mean, the dude is in heavenly places, full-blown, out-of-body, ecstatic experience. And yet the angel says, you've got to continue to eat the Word of God. Experience isn't enough, everybody. You've got to be in the Word of God. If we're just subject to experience, you're just going to get weird. You have to have objective truth that you're eating on on a consistent basis. When bad things happen, when bad things happen to good people, you will be tempted. You will be tempted to say, God, why did this happen to me? You will get defensive. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. We were praying, we were praying about, the, about this this morning. Our, our friends over at Grace Church Glendora, their youth pastor died. Junior high youth pastor died. That doesn't make any sense. He was a good dude. He was great. I don't know. And frankly, it's not, our, it's not our place. It's not our place to try and figure that out. Like, if you really wanted a reason to try to under, understand why that bad thing happened, you could do it. But we just need to give it to the Lord. I don't know why that happened. Maybe someday I'll know, and, or when I'm in heaven, I might not even care. I don't know. But we've got to just give those hard things to the Lord. And the other thing that we can do to prepare ourselves for these horsemen. <sighs> Quit ignoring God. In the marriage relationship, again, we call it stonewalling, shutting down emotionally, not listening, not investing time. Don't stonewall God. You know the last thing he asked you to do. Why well, just don't hear God giving me any direction? What's the last thing God asked you to do? Just be faithful in that. When God speaks, are you obedient to respond? Or do you shut him out? Not this time, God. You know, last time, God, last time I trusted you, last time I stepped out in faith, it, it didn't go too well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut you down. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to do, but again, in ministry, I've seen people do it. I've seen people stonewall God. When God speaks, again, he speaks to us through the book. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through one another. Having wisdom to discern what is God and what is not, that's tough, but you, got, you can all get there. But just listen to God. Let him speak to you, even if you don't like what he's saying. Let him love you, even if you don't feel lovable. Allow God to lead you into new areas, even if you like and feel comfortable with things being the same. And static. Just don't shut God out. Stay faithful to the gatherings. Stay faithful to prayer. Stay faithful to the Word of God. And you will prepare yourself for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I promise you that. Landon Spranlin, let's come on up.
Now, I'm going to give you a positive image to look at. Also, from Revelation, art from Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. And this, my friends, is what Jesus is saying to you. Jesus said this to John in the first century, and Jesus is saying it to us. This is red-letter stuff here. Those in whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So, be earnest. Like, we've got to be earnest. Got to sober up. We've got to be honest. Be earnest and repent. Let's put the picture up. Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Where's the doorknob, everybody? It's on our side. Who opens the door for Jesus? Is he just going to be rude and knock the door and come on in? And No, we have to open the door and invite him in. If anyone hears my voice, if anybody hears that knocking and opens the door, I will come in. And eat with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, we have to learn how to be overcomers in the coming seasons. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne. We have the right to sit with him on the throne. I would be happy with bleacher seats. And he's giving us the right to sit with him on the throne. And just as I have overcome and sat down with the Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, capital S, what the Spirit says to the churches, to Granite Creek, to all of our friends that are worshiping in other churches. He's got something to say to us. He is knocking on our door. We've got to open it up. I want to encourage you to open up the door for the Lord, for the day of the Lord. Grab your elements. This is receive communion. I also feel that this is a time that we do business with the Lord. If you are harboring any contempt either for the Lord or for others, this is a good time to confess that in your heart. Repent of that. If you have been stonewalling, if you've been shutting God out or shutting other people out of your life, now's a good time to repent and confess that in your heart. If you have been overly critical or gripey and whining about everything, Now's a really good time to do business with God and confess that. Becoming a part of the body of Christ will prepare you for the days to come. And the bride of Christ must be healthy and radiant, emotionally intelligent and strong. I want to be a part of a healthy bride a beautiful bride. And I believe that you do too. All of your provision, everything that you need is in the body of Christ. Receive the body of Christ for your provision. coming weeks, I will be showing you more art of Revelation, and specifically the pure and spotless Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is pure and spotless, without blemish and without sin. 
And again, the Lamb is the one that's opening these seals. He's the one that is bringing in justice and closing the book someday. Without the shedding of that innocent blood, well, we don't get invited to the party. There is no forgiveness of sins. So close your eyes. Just take a moment and say, Lord, Jesus, please forgive me of the sins that I have committed this past week. Jesus, please begin to transform my mindset from a sin-based mindset to a a saint-centered, Christ-like mindset. That our identity is in who God is and who He's made us. That when we we go to be with Him, we are sitting on His throne. We're not under His feet. Jesus, forgive us of our sins. Wash away all impurities and begin to prepare us for the days to come. Receive the this cup for the forgiveness of your sins. There's a powerful blessing from Thessalonians, which is also one of the books that highlights some of the things to come. And I want you to receive this blessing today. Just put your hands out like this. This is a, a blessing from the Holy Spirit. It is holistic and transformative if you receive it. May the Lord, may God himself, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, your soul, your spirit, your mind, may they they grow and mature and may they become blameless and pure until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is speaking to you, the one who is calling you, the one that is prompting you. The the Lord of God says that he is faithful to you to the very end. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And again, he is at your door knocking, knocking. All you got to do is open up. Be blessed. Be transformed every single part of you, every single one of you. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. See you soon.